Jake Vickers didn't bother with any kind of ornamentation like that. He wasn't there for attention or for competition or for anything like that. He was there for the music, for metal on flesh, for the crack of bone, for the drip of blood and the wail of pain cut short by a second wetter thud. Those music notes he could hold in his head and hum along to for forever. These were his trophies, his prized possessions, and his drug of choice. Only, the Civil War had ended, and he'd been forced to quit. Cold turkey. So many of his fellows had been quick to run back to their old lives as if nothing had happened. The necklace of ears got tossed out like so much costume jewelry. Jake Vickers went back, but he made no effort to pretend like he still belonged there. Instead, he haunted what had been his home, ignoring his parents as they moved around him and pulled his younger siblings away from his orbit. When the exodus from the city occurred, he had gone along because that made as much sense as staying. His family clung to each other as they watched his back float along to the crowd and out of sight. Even when the city vanished forever, Jake had remained locked in sober numbness. But now, as the survivors made their way through the forest of black bark trees, Jake found his old self rising back from hidden depths. There was life here in this forest, wild life that move behind the trees. So much life, yeah. And God, but he had missed killing things so much. Terry did not like Jake Vickers. In point of fact, Terry did not care for most any of the survivors he now traveled with. These were the people who killed Mike, who drove him and Mustafa out of the only home Terry had ever known and into the between realm of darkness and death. In another point of a different fact, Terry had never truly felt safe living amongst these people in their keep. But he had been human and alone and willing to make the effort for the sake of Mustafa, the head security officer who loved him like a son and who Terry had slowly allowed himself to trust and love like a father. The keep was gone now, along with all the rest of the city, but that unease still remained. 
and he wasn't human anymore. So Terry really didn't see the point in trying to play nice with a people he didn't even share a species with. His disused wings flapped against his back like empty sacks. His place was the sky. His kinship owed to the creatures who moved behind the trees. He wasn't sure how he'd explain that to Mustafa. He wasn't sure words existed to truly explain something like that. But of all the humans he was uncomfortable on the road with, Jake Vickers was the worst. The boy had the eyes of a dead man, and when he moved, he gave off the coppery smell of fresh spilled blood. Cassandra and the other outliers had filled Terry in on the events of the Civil War. The youth fronted death squads organized by the late McRae and the damned Miss Overbody. Fresh-faced youngsters trained to love death as mother, father, god, and first lover. Preteens and teenagers given weapons beyond their ken and told to expel all their anger and fear on the flesh of the weak and the vulnerable. Most of these had gone down with the city when the death god swallowed it into that realm of deepest dark. But scattered throughout the survivors were those youths who wore the stains of their sins clear on their skin as if they were neon birthmarks. Some of these were skittish as young deer, as if the slightest jolt would send them off bounding. Some were numb, led from place to place, and told when to sit, to eat, to lie down. With his sharper ears, Terry could overhear when the parents of these unfortunate helped them with their bathroom functions. And then there was Jake Vickers. Jake didn't move like the fragile. He did not react like the broken. He stood apart from all the rest, watching with his dead man's eyes, waiting. But waiting for what? Opportunity. Terry was sure of it. He was waiting for the correct opportunity. The fragile and the broken had touched death and were sick from the exposure. Jake Vickers wanted another squeeze. So Terry watched while Jake watched, the one young man waiting for an opening and the other young man waiting for him to seize that opening and take an action that would require punishment. But of course it was on a night when Terry was scouting ahead for any break in the endless forest, a search that came up fruitless like all the other searches, that Jake made his move. Terry returned to camp, reported that there was nothing to report, and went to grab some dinner. It was while he was munching the bitter vegetation that was all the survivors had to sustain themselves that Terry noticed an odd smell. No, not even that. Not an odd smell, but the, the absence of an odd smell. For the first time since they had left the city, Terry did not smell that metallic twinge of new-cut copper and fresh spill of blood. Terry searched the camp until he confirmed what he already knew. 
the killer was loose in the night. Christ in his closed off heaven, but it felt good to stalk again. Stalking was a special sort of thing, quite dissimilar from comparable emotions like walking. The difference had to do with power, you see. The power you held over someone who didn't even know you held it. Someone who didn't know that their life was about to end, that the sum total of all their dreams, their choices, their hopes, all of it, it was about to be supplanted by you, by that power you held, that you had taken. It made the blood pound in his veins like the drum of a big band orchestra, roaring thunder en route to a historic crescendo. There was an erotic twinge to the slow, controlled pull and flex of muscles as Jake crept through the forest of black bark trees. He'd spent the better part of the evening up a tree, just waiting and watching, watching and waiting. All manner of beast and creature had come picking or walking or slithering across his way, any one of which could have been his victim. That was part of the power. Call it the sprinkles that made the dessert more festive. The spice that really made the whole meal pop. That was so arbitrary, made it cruel. That it was so cruel, made it delicious. When it felt like he was about to explode out of his clothes with anticipation, his every hair standing upright as if electrified, only then did he settle on a victim. His target was the most human shaped of the possible selections. Perhaps that was why some internal meter saw it and said, Now. It shuffled like a lanky ape, long body covered all over with rough hair. Twin tusks protruded from the beast face but there was something like human intelligence in the dark eyes that warily searched the forest for some sign of threat. Jake held his breath and pressed back into the tree. At last his prey seemed to relax and walked off into the forest. Slow, deliciously slow, Jake crawled out of the tree and stole after his victim. His eyes had long since adjusted to the dark, and the trail was easy to follow. He kept low, bare feet making no sound against the carpet of earth and roots. At times, the ground rose and he went on all fours, liking the feeling of his arms pulling him onward. This, yes, this was what the body was made for. 
God in his gated community could shield his eyes and pretend otherwise, but man was grown for one purpose, survived by the grace of one instinct. He thought his cock might snap loose of his pants, he was so goddamn hard. Jake was so preoccupied with the pleasure that he almost spoiled the hunt. The ape thing had paused in its path and now stood scanning back the way it had come. Jake almost ran right into it. He flattened down into the dirt, his erection uncomfortably folded into his leg. The rubbing only made it worse. If it didn't bust soon, he was going to burst. The ape thing continued to search, but its eyes must not have been as at home in the dark as Jake's. Pathetic. This was mercy then, if you thought about it. Not everyone or everything is meant to survive. And who better than Jake Vickers, who played death like an orchestra, to decide who was worthy and who was so much ambulatory meat. King of the jungle. Yeah. King of the fucking jungle. Jake wasn't sure if he believed the theory among the survivors that many of these creatures and beasts of the forest were the children of the outliers, rescued and transformed by the new gods. But he sure hoped that that was the case. By rights of blood, those brats belonged to him, owed as debit to the death god who alone ruled all. If this was in fact a former child of the outliers, then their life was already his to take. It lived on stolen time, time burgled by lesser beings who had since felt the wrath of Jake's master. His victim finally gave up and turned to continue on its way. Jake pulled a length of pipe loose from its place on his belt. His victim froze once more, then whipped around to again survey the still forest where nothing moved and nothing sounded except death, precious death, sweet victim, tuning up and getting ready to make a masterpiece. If there was intelligence in its eyes, then there must be fear as well. Jake realized this and promptly came in his pants. The ape thing blanched, apparently smelling the new fluid. It began to back away, making whining noises like a dog in pain. Jake, he couldn't wait anymore. He came up screaming the pipe. He came up screaming, the pipe in his hand and dirt on his face. In no time at all, he had crossed the distance between himself and his stunned victim. Gripping the pipe in two hands like a bat, he swung it hard into the side of the ape thing's skull. Music. Sweet, sweet music. Jake got a few more swings into its back and legs before the ape thing swatted him away and limped, howling, into the night. It was only as he stood up that Jake realized he was laughing. That he'd been laughing this whole time. All that time, numb, was worth it to feel so good now. A white fleck in black earth held him for a moment. When he picked it up, he realized it was one of the ape thing's tusks. Someone else might hold on to such an item. It would make a hell of a trophy. Jake flicked the tusk away. This wasn't about prizes. It was about the art 
the music. He hefted the pipe and went after his prey. Time to play some more. Everything was pain. To move, to breathe, even thinking caused spasms of pain and panic to flare in his head and spiral down his spine. The only pain he could remember that even approached his agony was what he felt in those dreams where he imagined he had memories of being human, memories of being known by a name made of letters. There was nothing for it but to drag his heavy body forward, ignoring the inferno beneath his skin and the red fog swelling before his eyes. Then the forest echoed with new roars, and the monster with the metal club tore loose from the dark and was upon him once again. Blood and dirt streaked the monster's face like a mask. Two swings from the club brought forth two new crunches of bone. He was down and knew there would be no getting up again. But the monster backed away, a terrible giggle issuing from his throat and echoing in the black canopy overhead. Waiting. Waiting for what? He struggled to his knees, feeling thick rivers of blood coursing from a dozen different places, like thawed snow racing down the mountain's back once freed by spring. The monster came forward once more, his club whistling as he spun it in his fingers. The monster stepped just within reach, but he could not lift his arms to seize the club or attack his assailant or mount any defense at all. The monster laid the tip of the pipe on his shoulder, gently, then raised it and laid it on the other shoulder. He could feel the metal's chill even through his fur. The word nighting popped into his head, sprung loose from those dreams of memories. The monster drew the metal back and braced for the killing blow. Overhead, the canopy exploded inwards as a living bullet fell upon them. The monster wore a confused look as a sage with bat wings crashed down right in front of him. The savior belted the kill with one clawed fist, tearing the blood-soaked head loose from its shoulders. As the head tumbled into the bushes, it still wore that same look of utter confusion. Next, the savior savaged the body, ripping it to red chunks and casting the cursed flesh into the underbrush. When nothing was left but the stain, the savior seemed at last to calm and came towards him to help him up. The name 
the name popped into his head from that same dream place. Terry. He remembered Terry. Just as there were so many other memories hidden just around a corner that he could not yet round. But he felt them there. His fingernails scratched at the surface. He couldn't quite grasp it yet. But he would. And suddenly he was very, very sure of this. He would. And Terry, Terry would show him how. Terry, who had lived as both man and as monster. Terry, who had moved between the worlds. Terry would lead him. Lead all of them. All of them came softly from the shadows, drawn by the sound of conflict and by the smell of blood. And by something else, yes. By dream and by memory. And something else more than even that. All of them God touched, and even if the gods were dead, there was still their touch alive and whispering fate into the ears of their charges. Whispering what? Whispering the word King. Whispering the name Terry. Whispering the truth that the word and the name meant the same thing. The ape thing spoke the truth through his shattered mouth. Others joined in, then more and more, until all were speaking in languages without words the name of their king who would lead them clear of forest and shadow. Terry. And Terry heard. And Terry understood. And Terry for one moment considered that yes, all roads had led to this one moment. That perhaps, just perhaps, all that he had experienced, suffered, all of that had been paving stones needed to get him here so it could be what these lost needed in order to be found. He could save them all. He could. He would. But then he thought of Mike, lying crumpled in the street, with a bullet in his forehead. Mike, empty and still. Blood running silent from the gulf where the back of his head should have been. Terry had seen enough of death to know that that is what it is. Silence. How could he even think about trying to save any of these lost when he had been useless to help Mike? What was the point of saving anyone if there's nothing to be done for Mike? No freeing him from the hands of time and death that stolen him away. It was too much. It was all way too much. Terry beat his wings and was gone, back through the damage he himself caused. The lost watched him go, and did not know sadness. They knew he would return to them. In time, at last, he would return. 
if we see a crown cannot rest unclaimed. Hi everyone, this is Brandon Foley. I write, produce, and perform Blacks and Dispatches as part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Uh, let me start this part of the show uh, by just apologizing for how late this episode uh, is. You know, I've had I've had the script ready to go for the last couple of months, but unfortunately, uh, every time I want to record it, some horrible event, uh, either in my personal life or in uh, the life of the country that I live in, happened. So uh, we're we're all doing the best we can. Uh, in the wretched year of our Lord 2020. So again, I'm sorry the episode is so late, uh, but back on track, uh, and hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, there should be a, another episode right at the end of November, and hopefully we could do at least one more in December, and that takes out into next year. Uh, thank you to all Cinepunk sponsors, including our new sponsor, uh, Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, yeah, the Exit Coffee Roasters is now sponsoring the program for the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Uh, so head over to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, and apparently, you can get 10% off your order when you enter promo code CINEPUNKS. So uh, hit that up. Get your coffee roasters from EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, Blacks and Dispatches, as I said, is part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. There's tons of other great shows that you can listen to uh, from Cinepunks. There's also tons of great writing to be found on the Punk's website. So uh, please don't do peruse all that stuff. Uh, there's so much great content being created uh, across a variety of subjects. Uh, you're bound to find something that you're going to like. So head over to cinepunks.com and see what we have to offer. For more information about Blacks and Dispatches, the date with the show, please follow us at, at @blacksunshow on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at the true Brendan F. Uh, the music for this week's episode is, once again, Winter by E.L. Heath. And the Black Sun Inspections design, uh, excuse me, the Black Sun Inspections logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers. So, as I said, thanks everybody for bearing with me while I've got this episode off and running. Uh, I hope you did enjoy this. And please join us uh, in a couple weeks for the, uh, the true episode of November, uh, which should be out then. Uh, Thanks, everybody. Uh, have a great day. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy. Uh, see you soon. Bye-bye.